the sort of person who fears new things, this will not be the episode for you. Press pause, press stop, delete the podcast, and come back to us tomorrow. If you're okay with new things entering your life, hang around. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. However, I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins that I hope you'll check out. Pirates 4, Reds 3, not the prettiest finish, given that they blew a three-run lead in the ninth inning, Chase DeYoung did, but my goodness, everything before and everything after was just wonderful. Notably, Bryce Wilson, a guy that I've been really rough on all summer long, somehow putting together Eight scoreless innings. And then after that, Kevin Newman, who else? Mr. Walkoff with his seventh, seventh career walkoff, which is unbelievable for anybody, let alone somebody who's playing for, you know, this team. <laughs> there just aren't that many wins to begin with. He dropped a single into right center for the winning run. Along the way, O'Neill Cruz had a couple more hits, went two for five with a couple RBIs, those coming on a double that he just obliterated off the top of the Clemente wall. He is now batting 231, and I had promised myself a while ago that when, not if, when his batting average got above 230, I was going to do an episode just on just the meaninglessness of batting average and the meaning of exit velocity and why it's mattered all along. Now, if you're one of those people who, A, hates the Pirates, why would you be listening to a show called Daily Shot of Pirates if you did, and just want to rag on them anytime anything good comes up, or when the broadcasters get excessive in talking about exit velocity and you think that it's some sort of PR thing or whatever, as opposed to, a statistic that's now being applied across all 30 teams and being used habitually by announcers and reporters and writers like myself everywhere, or B, you just hate new things entering your life, then you would have had a problem with this concept for reasons that had nothing to do with the actual concept. Here's how this works. Exit velocity is not an advanced analytic, okay? Pitching velocity is not an advanced analytic, and no one would have called it that. You know why? Because we've been talking about pitching velocity for years, haven't we? We've been fascinated for decades, actually, by how hard somebody throws a baseball. This goes back to Bob Feller when he was reportedly hitting 100 miles an hour 70 years ago for the Cleveland Indians. Everyone was really into that. I've read at least one account where people were fascinated by whatever the velocity might have been that Walter Big Train Johnson was throwing a century ago. But as soon as it came up with hitters, it was, oh no, this is new. We can't talk about this. It's, it's exit velocity. It's, it's different. It's just the ball going off the bat. That's all. As important as it's been in baseball history, how hard a ball is thrown, that's exactly how important it is 
to hit the ball hard. And don't give me Tony Gwynn, Pete Rose, Rod Carew, and people dropping in singles over the shortstop's head. Those days are long gone. They were fun. I was a kid for those things, and it was neat to see guys do that. That game doesn't exist anymore. That version of baseball is dead. And with all of the actual advanced analytics that are in the game, it's not coming back, no matter how much you might hope for it. Because pitchers and their corresponding defense now work together, even if it's not full-blown shifts, to get people out, to make sure that someone like a Gwen or a Carew can never happen again. And I don't believe that they ever will. So the solution is to hit it so bleeping hard that it can't be caught. And that, my friends, is what Cruz has been doing all along. The only difference now is there's a little bit more contact, just a little bit, and look at the results. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Anyone who doubted that Cruz was going to be capable of a little more contact at the big league level, hasn't paid any attention to his minor league trajectory. He's always struck out, but he's never struck out at some epic rate. If you look even at some of the home runs that he's hit on the way up, and of course a handful of them here in the majors as well, he's reached to like bizarre parts of the, the, I don't even want to call it the zone, uh, out of the box, like uh, for those of you who go way, way back, Manny Sanguian style, you know, just almost hacking, but he gets the barrel on the ball. He was never going to be somebody who struck out habitually. What he needed to do in the majors was exactly what he did upon arriving. He needed to be the best version of himself. And that best version for O'Neill Cruz is hitting the ball hard. He wasn't about to, as some people ridiculously suggested at the time, take something off of that swing a little bit. Just plop one over the second baseman's head. You'd be asking someone with epic, and I'm talking epic, natural power to kind of dumb things down a little bit and just just drop one in the grass somewhere. You'd be asking him to reinvent himself. You, you'd be like, this is stuff that you'd never ask, for example, of a golfer. I don't know why there's, they're seen as being different things. In, in golf, oh, you never touch his swing. And remember when Tiger Woods had to change his swing and it was the biggest story in the sport? You can't do it in baseball either. This kid has grown up swinging for the heavens and a lot of times hitting those heavens. So here he is now batting 231, but also with 17 home runs and 53 RBIs 
and a 743 OPS if you want to talk about an offensive metric that matters. That's a combination of on-base plus slugging percentage for those of you receptive to new things. In just 321 at-bats. I mean, that's a little more than half of a standard season. I'm going to repeat this for you. 17 home runs and 53 RBIs. You know, this is big-time production. It's not batting average. It's about production. It's about what results in runs for your team. Because as complex as baseball ever gets, and as further complex I'm sure it's going to become, it's never, ever, ever going to grow out of the only stat really mattering being how many runs your team scores versus how many the other team scores. This kid is playing an enormous part in that. That's only just begun because he can hit the ball this hard. When we come back, J1Q. comes from Keith, who asks, would it really shock you if the Pirates kept Miguel Andujar? No, it, it wouldn't. Keith, honestly, uh, I, I don't consider their 40-man roster to be sacred territory, though they sometimes treat it as such. What I suggested on yesterday's show was that <laughs> this is a really unfair way to put things, but hey, that's what happens when you cover this particular team. I just feel like they've had so many rotten acquisitions via waiver pickups, and and it's not even really an opinion. And I feel like they've had virtually no success making anyone of any pedigree or any mode of acquisition better at the plate. If you can name me one hitter that's become better under Andy Haynes, good luck. Good luck. Go ahead. I, I wish I had a clock ticking right now so you could hear like ding dong, ding dong. You're not going to come up with one. So why would we think that Andahar will be that? Because he's had a couple of doubles, including another one yesterday that went soaring into the notch. He hasn't had a chance to have Haynes get his hands on him, to use one of the Pirates' favorite internal terms. Get our hands on that guy. He stroked a couple of doubles. He had a really, really exceptional rookie season with the Yankees in 2018. After that, he hurt his shoulder, was slowed down, never got back to close to that kind of production in the majors, and in fact, never even added up all the rest of those seasons and all his plate appearances to equal the amount that he had in 2018. So the Yankees weren't even really giving him a chance. Now, he's going to look like a hitter in Pittsburgh because look at the rest of this lineup. He shows up and gets a double each day, and we're all like, whoa, dude can rake, you know? But Michael Chavis had games like Michael Chavis had a four-hit game. You just, things happen, you know, whenever somebody's even approaching average on a team that, as we're speaking, is still on pace to be the worst offensive 
production outfit in the 136-year history of the Pittsburgh Baseball Club. Everyone looks like Ty Cobb reincarnated when they come here, at least at the very beginning. We'll see what it amounts to. Uh, We'll see, as far as the 40-man goes, how many Rule 5 guys they have to protect, how many tough decisions they have to make. And just to give you a small sample of what one of those is, Jiwon Bay who just came up now for some strange reason when they really needed to find out about him a lot sooner and in a much greater sample size. He's one of them. They have to protect him in the Rule 5 or risk losing him. So why would you have him up for just the last two weeks? I don't know. Josh Van Meter dot dot dot. Who knows? Anyway, I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. 